you know, when I started doing this work, one of the most important lessons I learned was the, op you know, it's sort of people say that the opposite of domestic violence isn't safety. The opposite of domestic violence is self-determination. I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. And today I am in the office of Andrew Santa Anna, who is the supervising attorney at Day One, which is a legal services program that works with teenagers and young people who are experiencing or are survivors of intimate partner violence. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I'm glad we're able to do this. Your work involves many things. I thought maybe we could start with a program that the Center for Court Innovation has been involved in and, and helped develop, the Youth Offender Domestic Violence Court in Brooklyn, which works with young people ages 16 to 19 who have been involved in intimate partner domestic violence, misdemeanor criminal cases. Now, your role is representing the victims in civil cases, is that correct? Yeah, and so um, when there's a case going on in the YODVC, um, many of the young people who are victims in that case have questions about family court, custody of their kids, or orders of protection in the civil process. And so we have a pretty close relationship with the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, and they make referrals to us, and we see how we can help. Let's talk about your clients and being a teenager in an intimate partner violence situation. Are there different characteristics? Are there different issues and concerns that teenagers have and that you have representing teenagers than an adult might sure. have? Sure. I think that um, young people are, I think, are obviously a, a different population with respect to their age. And, and so that plays out in a few different ways. There are things about it that are similar to cases involving adults and things about it that are significantly different. And so when I think about the differences, I break them into a few different categories. First and foremost is the law, right? So when we talk about working with young people, the law treats young people and minors differently, right? And so a young person under the age 18 is considered an infant under the law, is considered a minor or someone with diminished capacity. And so from the get-go, you have someone for whom the standard is a little bit different. And that requires more from an attorney and from the court to think about where that young person is. So there's definitely the legal aspect of that. And then secondly, there's the culture aspect of that, which means that I think young people who are teenagers in you know the 2014 time are different in some ways because of their access to technology than young people even just 10 years ago. So I think that if we're talking about manifestations of intimate partner violence or ways that power and control manifest, they're taking along all on a huge technological component. And then I would say the last piece about this is that as you know, studies and research develops, we know that we're interacting with young people at a certain developmental stage in their lives. And so whether it be you know, normal teenage brain development, to hormones, to relationships with their parents, we know more information about how young people are processing information. And I think that helps inform um, what services they need, um, what they seek, and what remedies are appropriate. Well, the Youth Offender Domestic Violence Court takes care of or works with the criminal side of things. So then what happens if you get a referral from the court? What are some of the issues that, um, some of the civil remedies or um, issues that you're dealing with when you represent the, the young victims in a civil setting? Sure. So um, our clients, you know, the, I think when people contact day one, they might have questions about a civil case. And so we work with a lot of teen mothers who have questions about 
whether it be paternity or child support or custody and visitation, you know, our, the clients we work with also have a right to file for an order of protection through the civil process. So there's those are often some pretty um, typical questions, but also because the lives of our clients are complicated and they have many different identities, sometimes there's questions about benefits, about um, young people and teenagers access, accessing public benefits. There are sometimes immigration questions. And I think if we're talking about young people in violent relationships, there's also the need for them to just to connect with someone and to talk to someone. And so we have legal services, but we also have one-on-one -on -one and group counseling services, and we also have a survivor's group that does advocacy. So thinking about where that young person is and being responsive to that is kind of where we come from. Because, you know, while it's great and I can talk to someone about their legal options, sometimes they just want to talk to someone about this relationship where it might have been their first time they were in love or the parent of their child with whom they might have a complicated relationship. I think it's important for, for young people to have people that they can talk to and reach out. Let's put this a little bit maybe in a historical context. Domestic violence itself has been an issue that has taken, you know, in, historically many years for advocates to bring to the attention of the justice system and, uh, and take it as seriously as any kind of violence and also look at the complexities that are involved when it involves intimate partners. Now, for teenagers, is that another? Is that taken another level of awareness and more time to bring attention to the fact that teenagers too can experience this kind of? Yeah, and thank you for asking that question because I think that that I think in some ways gets to the real heart of it. I think part of this is talking about young people and teenagers as people who will have intimate relationships, as young people who will be having sex, as young people that will be engaged in a lot of behaviors that their parents or adults would rather not touch, right? And so if we're talking about domestic violence, we are certainly working with young people who are parents or young people that are having sex and unprotected sex or sex that's coerced. We're also talking about um, young people who wouldn't necessarily talk about these things with their parents. And so, as I was saying before, there are developmental things going on with young people. So, you know, maybe they don't want to talk to their parents or their counselors or their teachers or people that they trust about what's going on in their lives, or at least adults, because they're developing a sense of themselves. So I think that that's one piece of it. And a second piece of it is, is kind of a cultural kind of misconception about young people in intimate relationships. So there's this idea, oh, teen DV, that must mean like domestic violence or intimate partner violence light, or it's not as serious. This is, um, you know, maybe slapping or some, um, or some light, you know, or, or, or some kind of like, you know, constant phone calls. I think that what's important to recognize about teen dating violence, particularly, um, as it affects young women, as that these are actually the highest rates of intimate partner violence, young women um, between ages, say, 18 and 24, right? There's the highest rates of that. And there's also a lot of physical violence. So when we're thinking about these relationships, I think it's important to recognize, I think, what exists culturally, which is kind of a minimization of this experience, but also recognizing that these young people are at a particularly high, uh, at a particularly high amount of risk in, in this age group. And do the teenagers themselves sometimes have trouble, as anyone perhaps does, recognizing that they're in a situation that's perhaps becoming dangerous or abusive? Because I think when someone's been in a relationship for a long time, that's when those patterns maybe become the most unmanageable and the most evident, sometimes even to the victim. So if someone's very young and less experienced in the world and, and perhaps being told that this is normal or this is what they're to expect, is that a challenge? Sure. I mean, and that challenge comes from all sides, right? On one hand, you have someone who's navigating their first intimate relationships. And so 
you know, constant phone calls, checking in, stalking, possessiveness might feel like, oh, it means that they really care about me. But, you know, I think if you're looking at it objectively, in some cases that might mean stalking. So I think that there's definitely that piece. And of course, there's um, a lot of, I mean, whether it be hormonal or cultural influences, which are having, you know, in which young people are, you know, thought to be in these like really (laughs) amazing romantic relationships by the age of 16. There's also not necessarily the healthiest images out there in our culture about what young people in relationships are supposed to be like. So um, I think it's really complicated. And what are your goals as an attorney representing the victim? I mean, I assume obviously the safety of the victim is paramount, but are there considering, uh, you know, the, your clients have a lifetime of relationships ahead yeah. of them. Do you have goals also related to helping them learn how to navigate or or sort of change something in their lives so sure. that they have healthy relationships? Yeah, I'm, thank you for saying that. I, I, I think that what I think we're driven by at day one is the desire to support that young person's development and their safety, and but most importantly, their self-determination. I, you know, when I started doing this work, one of the most important lessons I learned was the, op- you know, it's sort of people say that the opposite of domestic violence isn't safety. The opposite of domestic violence is self-determination. And when I understood that, I took it to mean that safety is important, but when you have a pattern of someone, you know, exercising power and control, stalking them, manipulating, battering them, abusing them, you're taking away that person's agency, right? And so when we talk about the opposite of domestic violence, it's empowering a young person, giving that person information, allowing them to make choices for themselves. Now, um, as someone who's not a teenager anymore, some of those choices might be choices I agree with, and some of them might be things that I'm, you know, a little bit more concerned about. My role as an attorney, I think, is to advise them of the consequences of those choices, but ultimately support them in their own growth about where that's going, right? Um, when we talk about, you know, I think with adults or whoever leaving abusive relationships, they say it takes what is it, like the stat is like seven to ten times for someone to leave an abusive relationship. I think at day one, I think we recognize that young people in abusive relationships, we're going to meet them, whether it be that first time, that third time, that fifth time, or that seventh time, when they're ready to leave, or they might not be ready to leave and they want to switch something up. And so I think our role is to give them legal advice, represent them where we can, and just support their, you know, their self-determination. And part of that means safety and safety planning. Sometimes that means getting access to immigration remedies. That means talking to their teachers. That means um, talking to them about their root home. And then sometimes that involves, you know, litigation, but really having that person, that person's experience centered and affirming their choices, I think is kind of where we come from. So tell me a little bit about yourself, like how you ended up in this role and, yeah. and doing this kind of work. So as a supervising attorney, I, I oversee our programs. I've been here for a couple of years, and I found myself in this role because because I was interested in working with young people and trying to figure out, for me, it was thinking about like what the end of domestic violence looked like, right? The end of domestic violence is a, is a community and a legal system and a society where this doesn't happen. And I think that for me, it happens from a young age, right? There are lessons that you learn from a young age. And I think I'm excited to be a part of this work because I'm doing really, I think, interesting legal advocacy, but it's combined with prevention work and counseling in a way that isn't just 
isn't only interventionist, doesn't only intersect or intervene or become a part of this process when something has gone wrong. I, I think I'm a part of a team that people that try to address it before. And I think, you know, in, in the past I worked at an organization and worked specifically with LGBTQ clients. And in that work, it was also working with a marginalized or historically underrepresented community, at least in this, um, in this arena. And it was thinking about, um, you know, I think working with marginalized communities in those contexts really think of helped me provide a lens on how our system needs to have nuanced responses to individuals and how these kind of blanket statements around how we address this work cannot be seen outside of the lens of talking about age and gender and sexual orientation and race and poverty and ability and education and all of these other things. And so I think for me, I got into this work because I like being in that complexity and sometimes it's messy, but I think it's more authentic that way. Does that make sense? Sure. And it sounds like you feel maybe you're going to have more of an impact if you work with a younger population. You're sort of yeah, and I, and I like, <laughs> and I, I'm always learning things from the young people I work with. I did a workshop last week um, at a high school here in New York City, and whether it be young people's vocabulary to understanding what apps they're using to how they talk about their relationships, it's, you know, I think that there's obviously very serious um, and intensive litigation that happens, but I think there's also can be a lighter side when you get to connect with young people who are exploring relationships and love. And let me ask you one more thing, because you had mentioned technology before. How does that play a role in, in your young people's lives in terms of making them perhaps more open to being victims? And I don't know, in, in terms of your being working as an attorney, maybe gathering evidence and such. Yeah. And so I think when we work with young people, their access to technology and communication through social media, through apps, through cell phones, through um, online interactions are so embedded in how they have relationships that it's this it's kind of a double-edged sword because on one hand there's there can be a lot of documentation about text messages and emails and Facebook messages and tweets and Instagrams but at the same time what's challenging about it is that there are a lot of risks when you um, put that information out there so um, a lot of young people experience technology abuse and there's a lot of things that are going on with say sexting or the the exchange of um, sexually explicit or intimate messages amongst young people and so what happens is is that young people because they're so connected have a sense of privacy or intimacy in exchanges with other people online and I would say that those exchanges and that intimacy is entirely real because I think those connections are real However, that sense of privacy is entirely false. And so while you can create these intimate connections, those messages can be sent to your partner's friends, their friends, your teachers, your parents, and can be put on the internet. And so I think we're in this stage where while these connections are real, that privacy is entirely fake and runs into a bunch of risks around that. Um, and then I think the only other thing that I would say around that is as an attorney, it can be hard to litigate these things because in some cases, you know, the technology is a couple steps ahead of the law. So many of these apps are, you know, based either in Canada or it's kind of not so easy to get information from them. So litigation around this stuff can be also really difficult. So it doesn't make it easier necessarily that you have a, an evidence recorded somewhere. I mean, you know, I, I would love to talk to someone who's 
you know, was doing this work 20 years ago, because I bet they probably have a different set of challenges. And so while there is an opportunity for evidence, there's, I would just say there's other challenges. And, you know, one other thing that I would say is that I recently worked with a young person who told me that they didn't have voicemail, and the only way to contact them was through text. And so again, I think it's like flipping, you know, modifying my understanding of how people interact in order to meet where a young person's at. And I think that that's probably going to change in another five years. There might be some, I don't know, more immediate way to connect with someone other than text. Through implants and heads. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, listen, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. Good luck with your continued work. Yeah, thanks. Anytime. I've been speaking with Andrew Santa Ana, who is the supervising attorney at Day One based here in Manhattan. To find out more about Day One, you can visit their website, uh, which is... www.dayoneny.org. And to find out more about the Youth Offender Domestic Violence Court, you can visit www.courtinnovation.org. You can also uh, visit that website to hear more podcasts, and you can also subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. You can also leave a review there. You can also visit Court Innovation on our Facebook page. So thank you very much for listening. I am Rob Wolf, and stay tuned for more podcasts in the future.